Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to see you, so glad to be with you. Uh, you already heard the announcements. Uh, starting next week, we're going to begin a four-week sermon series, and we're excited about it. We don't want you to miss it. Uh, invite people to come. We're going to be exploring a lot of things that uh, is not real typical. We do something in the summer every year to try to uh, just bring excitement and 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 instead of just having church, and this is going to be our summer push, and of course in the wintertime in the month of December, we do Christmas at the movies, and we're already making plans for that uh, this coming year, so uh, every six months or so, we try to have a big push to, to uh, get you able to invite people that may not come just to hear a boring Sunday morning service, but uh, the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a brand new series, we're going to be promoting it, we're going to have merch available, uh, we're going to be uh, obviously having a block party in the third week of it. The last Last week, we're going to be uh, having a baby dedication. We're going to be praying over the kids and the teachers and the school staff before they go back to school and uh, because it'll be uh, the first week of August. So we've got a lot planned in the next four weeks. Don't miss any of it, and, and don't, don't let uh, uh, the, the summertime doldrums keep you away because you're going to want to be part of what God is doing. Amen? So this morning, I'm going to take uh, one of my very favorite texts in the Bible, and it's only one scripture, it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you, uh, I did not just cuss or speak in tongues. Ecclesiastes is a book of your Bible. I know some of you probably don't know that, but it is written by Solomon, wisest men who uh, ever lived, and we're going to be looking at one scripture out of the 11th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is my second favorite book of the Bible. Of course, if you were with us uh, in, in, in James, that's right. We did. Uh, we explored the entire book of James, so you know my favorite book. This is a close second. I love Ecclesiastes. I like the snarky sarcasm tone that is in the book of Ecclesiastes. I like the in-your-face uh, direct quotes. And this morning, the text that I'm going to share with you is one of the very first scriptures that I ever memorized. It was one of the very first ones I ever broke down from a pulpit because it, was, it just jumped into my spirit. And it was one that I used to quote quite a bit 25 years ago when I first began to preach because I didn't really know a whole lot more back then than these few verses. But uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4 says this, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever wa looks at the clouds will not reap. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound like a very good text for a sermon. Well, hold your horses. Whoever watches the wind won't do anything. Whoever watch, looks at the clouds also won't. Let me put it to you like this. If all you're doing is watching, nothing is happening. My sermon this morning is called, Who Edited Your Story? Who, who edited your story? That will become uh, more visible to you as we progress in this sermon this morning. Let me begin this morning by saying that Solomon is telling us here, Solomon happened to be the most perspicacious preacher in your Bible. He was the most visionary. He was the mo most forthtelling. He was the one that saw things that nobody else saw because he was so wise. And he's telling us that it is a bad idea for you to watch the weather and to use what you see as a motivation for action. Let, let me say that to you again. It is a bad idea for you to watch what is happening around you and allow what you see to be the motivator on whether or not you do something. 
You, you have to make up your mind to do some things no matter what it looks like. You, you've got to decide that you're going to do right even when the world's not doing right. You, you've got to decide that you're going to put one foot in front of the other even when you would rather stay in the bed. You've got to decide that you're going to make the most out of a bad situation even when the bad situation seems to be getting worse. If you understand where I'm coming from, say amen this morning. See, one of the worst, one of the worst, I'm going to let you behind the veil a little bit this morning. And I, I told you a few weeks ago that us preachers have some inside talk that we use, us pastors. And, and one of the things we, we say is that we have summer inclement weather. And, and when I talk about inclement weather, you think I'm talking about snow. But see, we don't like summer inclement weather because summer inclement weather is when it's too pretty for you to come to church. In the wintertime, it's too bad for you to come to church, but in the summertime, it's too pretty. And so we like it just cool enough to keep you off the lake, but not so bad that you won't come to church. So that's the way us preachers, we like, we like it when, you, when, when you, all your activities get shut down and you come visit us at church. That's what we like. We like you to come see Jesus on Sunday. And one of the worst things about living in this part of the country is that from like November to March, there are things called forecasts and they talk about bad weather more than they talk about anything else from like November to March they tell us things that probably won't happen but everybody acts like it's the end of the world L let me let me explain what I mean by that first of all as soon as the weatherman says it might snow, all of you suddenly become addicted to French toast because you've got to run out and buy all the bread, all the milk, and all the eggs because you act like the snow is going to come and never stop and you won't get out of your house again until springtime. I'm not sure what it is about people who have lived in this area their whole life. It's, no, it's not like this is the southeast tip of Florida. You've seen snow before. You've driven in it before. And you have discovered that what starts will also end. But everybody goes out, panics, buys all the toilet paper, buys all the French toast making material because everybody's going to be snowed in until Easter and we've got to have our French toast. Now there won't be a drop of snow on the ground, but the forecast creates fear. I'm going to say it to you like this. The threat causes a reaction. All, all they have to do is say it might happen, and something jumps inside of you that says, I've got to have some French toast. I've got to go get all my supplies because what if it snows and never stops? Because that's happened before. What if we get snowed in and we can never leave the house again? Because this is Alaska. Have you ever noticed that when your spirit makes a decision to do something, your mind will start forecasting bad weather? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It like, like when your mind decides to do, when you decide to do something, uh, your mind will find reasons not to do it right now. Like if you decide to go on a diet, your mind will start calculating why it's not a good idea for you to do that today. Like, like you don't remember where you put your keys, 
But you can suddenly rattle off exactly how many days it is between now and Thanksgiving. And you're like, well, I shouldn't start no diet before Thanksgiving because it's only 75 days until Thanksgiving. Or, or, or better yet, you say, well, I better not do this until after vacation. When's vacation? Next year. Your, your mind will start suddenly playing tricks on you and forecasting bad weather. And, 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 and so the way our minds work is usually in opposition to our spirit. That's why Paul said, the stuff I want to do, I don't do that. It's the stuff I said I was done with. Those are the things I end up doing. And what Solomon is telling us is that you can find an excuse not to if you look for one. There's always going to be a reason not to sow. If you want to find one, you'll find one. If you look for a reason not to reap, you'll find one every time. Because your mind can come up with anything you look for. Every person in this room this morning, if you want a reason to complain, you'll find one. Even though your spirit knows that God has been abundantly, overwhelmingly good to you, your mind will find a reason for you to complain if you hunt for one. If you need a reason to complain, it's too hot in here. But if a few rows over, somebody else is complaining because it's too cold in here. When this sermon is done today, somebody's going to complain because the preacher went too long. When this sermon is done, somebody else will shake their hand in the parking lot and say, I wish he'd have kept on preaching. Now, that don't happen very often, but there's somebody in the room. It, it, now, listen, if you want to, you can find a reason to go into a whole depression here this morning. If you want to think about a certain problem that you have in your life right now, you ain't even got to invent something. There's something in your life right now that if you want to focus on it long enough, even while I am giving a word of life out, you will completely miss everything that I say because your mind is fixated on a problem that's not present in the room. What is present in the room is the one who has all the answers to the problem, but you ignore him because your mind is fixated on something that's not even relevant to the moment. Because your mind can take you places, it can forecast bad weather. <laughs> and, and, and that's why when you wake up some mornings, you say, Ugh, it's going to be one of them days. Guess what you're going to get? One of those days. Why? Because your heart reached a verdict, and now your mind is out on a mission to search for the evidence. Uh, let me help you. As a pastor, I'm going to do a little self-therapy up here, okay? As a pastor, I have a real contentious relationship with the weatherman. Now, I don't know him. I'm sure he's a swell guy. But during the months of November to March, every Friday, every Friday, it might snow. Check me. Check, check me and see how many Decembers, Januarys, and Februarys on Fridays they say it's going to be beautiful weather this weekend. No, it don't happen. You know how I know? Because I'm sitting there throwing my shoes at the TV. Because he's saying there's a possibility that if this front comes down this way and it meets this for and, and, and all of these things happen that we might have snow. And I'm throwing my shoes screaming and saying, ah, don't say that. You're just making stuff up. Just say it if it's going to happen. Don't tell folks that it might happen because I know there are a lot of church members watching that weather. And as soon as they heard that dirty four-letter word snow, 
They decided, I'm not going to church this weekend. I'm going to watch the live stream, and we're trying to plan church service. And they've already decided they're not coming, not because they saw evidence of snow, but because it might snow. Do you know how many things that the devil has kept you from doing in your life that God called you to do because you were afraid of what might happen? Do you have any idea how the enemy has forecasted might into your life and stopped you from being successful? Let me just speak to that a minute because for a lot of us, the enemy doesn't even have to fight us with real events and real circumstances. He can just suggest a disaster and it's enough to shut you down. So even the thought that somebody doesn't like you will stop you from being friendly. Because, well, maybe they won't like me. Or maybe they won't like what I do for a living. Or maybe they won't like the person I'm married to. And so you'll stop being friendly to folks because of a might. There are people in this room, and you are reluctant to be involved in this church now because you had a bad church experience then. Oh, you got quiet on me. My whole amen committee just resigned on that one point. Now, now, there are people that come to church here every Sunday, and they're afraid to get involved here because of church hurt back then. And I'm not talking down to you this morning because I understand. Because as a pastor, we too bleed. We too have been hurt by the church. We too have had people that have swore to protect us and take care of us and walked out on us. So I understand. And here's what I also understand. When you have survived a storm, just because the wind stops blowing doesn't mean it stops on the inside. When you have came all the way through the storm and the skies open up and, the, and they turn blue again and the bluebirds start singing, just because the storm stops around you does not mean that it don't keep raging on the inside of you. And, and, and it is tough. It is tough watching a Christian who has been set free by the love of Christ, but they have hired the devil to be their weatherman. And they are listening to every negative forecast that he comes up with. So they stay indoors, and they stay afraid, and they stay ineffective because of a might. Solomon says, if you watch the wind, you won't do anything. What a weird image. Because you can't really see the wind. All you can see is the effect of the wind, right? And he says, when you watch the wind, it causes you to be hesitant. Because you start asking questions like, is this, is this a good time? When you see the wind blowing, you'll start asking questions like, is, should I do it now? Or should I wait for the wind to stop? Should I do it now or should I wait for the wind, uh, wind to be over? Should I do it now or is another time more appropriate? I'll give you another example of watching the wind. If you have to be in a good mood to keep your commitments that you made, you're wind watching. Pastor got mean this morning. I invited you to a good series next week, and here I am being mean. Hey, listen, listen. Your weather systems are internal, and they're always changing. And I found out a long time ago that usually the mood I'm in when I make a commitment won't match my mood when it's time to fulfill my commitment. I'll make a commitment and feel good, and the day comes when I'm supposed to actually do it, and I might be sick, I might be tired, I might be under the weather, I just might be grouchy. 
But that's why James says, when you say yes, make sure you will hold up your yes because somebody is counting on you. And when you said yes, that, that meant yes, not just, not just for a moment, but when it comes time to fulfill it, you go through with your, with your yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and Solomon uses this image of the wind. Why? Because the wind is an invisible force. So is what's going on the inside of you. And, and he says if you're always checking with this invisible source, you will let how you feel dictate what you do. Let me talk to you about marriage because y'all not mad at me already, so let me get there. The longer you stay married, your feelings will change. I love him so much. I can't wait to spend my life with him. I can't imagine what a glorious life we're going to have. And then the passage of time comes. And all that stuff that used to be cute starts giving you homicidal impulses. And you find yourself binge-watching shows about women that got away with murder. And then if you watch that long enough, you start thinking, I got some of that bleach up under the cabinet. I, I don't... I didn't mean to, to buy that brand, but that's what she. <laughs> and there's always going to be a reason, if you allow it to, that you won't feel like forgiving people. Hello? But you know in your spirit that if you want to be free, you have to set them free, and you have to go against your feelings to find freedom. And how do you do that? Well, you have to refuse to let your emotions control how you respond to things. You have to remember while you're looking to him over there and he is asleep in the, in the recliner and he is snoring to beat the band and like his mouth is gape open and maybe his tongue's hanging out some slobber's coming down his chin and there's like a fly getting ready to drop in it. You ain't going to tell him. You ain't going to warn him or not because you, you are just looking at him going, look at him. Ugh. Like... Like, what is, what is wrong with him? Who, who sleeps like that? And then all of a sudden, stuff that shouldn't be irritating you is irritating. Y'all not going to help me. Uh, let me go over on this side. Stuff that shouldn't be irritating you is irritating you. And you, you're looking at him going, uh, I can't believe somebody could just sleep in the middle of the afternoon like that and let, have that slobber on their chin. And, and you just you start talking about all and thinking about all these things. But, and, and, and if you let your emotions control how you respond then you are forgetting what got you in the mess in the first place. You remember why you married him in the first place? Because you had decided they were worth spending a lifetime with. Y'all act like I'm lying. I did some of your premarital counseling. I asked the question. You said, oh, yes, oh, yes. That's the same guy. He's the same joker that you said, oh, yes, I can't imagine life without him. And now you're imagining if prison is worth it. (laughs) 
happened. You forgot what got you in the mess in the first place because if you remember when you decided you wanted to spend the rest of your natural life with him, you had collected evidence that he was a good guy, that he was your soulmate, that he was a good support system, that he was somebody that would pray with you and pray for you, that he could be the priest of your home. Your mind had collected all this evidence. And I'm going to tell you something. Your mind continues to collect evidence, and it will prove to you whatever it is you're looking for. I just did a whole lot of preaching right there. Let me run this by you. Sitting here right now, you can collect evidence about me and it depends on where your heart is toward me and toward ministers and toward preachers and toward churches and whatever your heart sets out to find, your mind will collect the evidence. So while I'm preaching, you will be collecting evidence that I'm either a great guy or that I don't know what I'm talking about. That either I'm too bold or I'm not bold enough. That I'm too loud or that I'm too meek. You will be collecting evidence because you can do and find whatever it is you're looking for. So when you're in the middle of this relationship and you're trying to determine whether or not 15 to life is a good trade-off, you need to remember there was a time that your mind collected evidence that he was a good guy. And the reason your mind stopped looking that way was because your heart stopped sending it out. And now the evidence that you're looking for is evidence that he's a skunk, He's evidence that he's not worth your time, evidence that he is. And now whatever it is that you're looking for, you're watching the wind. Fellas, I ain't going to let you off the hook. Watching the wind is wishing that you had a different wife instead of putting in the work to love the one you got like Christ loves the church. Okay? So you could talk to three people in this room. Right here on the pew. Right now, you could talk to three people in this room, and if you got to know them just a little bit, you would never want to come back to church again. If that's what you're looking for, you'll find it. But if you move a couple spaces over, you could talk to some sweet soul that would have you convinced that Jesus Christ walked into this room this morning and is sitting in that very seat, or they're an angel sent down from heaven. Because you'll find what you're looking for. There's some of you in this room that... I shouldn't tell this. But I know, and, and you know who you are. There's some of you in this room that I know if I called you at 3 o'clock in the morning and you answered the phone and I said, I need your help, your first response would be, where are you at? Listen, I got some folks like that. I hope you got some people like that. I hope you got some tear-the-roof-off kind of people in your life. But I got some people that if I called you, you wouldn't say, What's, you know, what, do you know what time it is? That would, no, no, no. If I called you and said, I need your help, you'd say, where you at? If I needed help doing anything, like getting rid of a body, <laughs> you're the first number I'm going to dial. I know some of y'all got my back. I know some of y'all will help me do anything I need done. You will help me fight devils that are after my ministry. I trust you. I'm talking about I trust you with my life. I, there are some of you I would trust with my truck. 
There are some of you that are so important to me, and I know you so well, I would leave an envelope in the room with you full of $100 bills and leave for days and come back and know that every red cent would still be in that envelope because I know you to be honest that way. I trust you like that. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my money. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my ministry. But if you tell me you're going to meet me at 9 o'clock, I ain't even going to start looking for you until 1030. Because I know you got my back, but you ain't got no watch. And I know that you would move heaven and earth to help me out, but you ain't going to be on time for nobody. And so I trust you with everything except time. You got my back. You ain't got no skills when it comes to knowing what time it is. So the real question is this, for a mature Christian, can I trust God with his timing? Because listen, I know that God's going to get me to heaven one day. I trust that Jesus died on the cross, that he forgives me of my sins. I trust God with my my, my, my prodigal children, I trust God with my health issues. I trust God to, to make a way where there seems to be no way. I trust God to be my provider. We trust Him with everything except time. You say you believe He's all-powerful. You believe God's steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, above all, in all, and through all. You believe He's the lover of your soul. You believe that He's a bright morning star. But let Him take too long. To answer one of your prayers. Let him leave you in that fiery furnace three seconds longer than you was planning to be there. And you will figure out whether or not you're a mature Christian or not. Because we trust God with everything except our time. So you can't watch the wind. Because if you wait on your feelings, you can't see your feelings. If you wait on things, you may never see them. You have to wait until... God is ready for you to take action, and then you can't care what the wind is saying to you. In other words, you can't wait till you get a better job to be excellent at the one you have right now. You, 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 you can't wait before you get a raise before you decide you're going to give. You can't wait until somebody is kind to you before you can return kindness. That's watching the wind. Watching the wind will cause one problem in your life. You will miss the value of the now. Watching the wind will cause you to miss this moment. And let me speak to that before I get out of your way. Think about your life like a movie. When they make movies, the thing that you watch is not everything that they shot. There's a lot of scenes that gets cut out. It's called editing. My sermon is called, Who Edited Your Story? Because when they're making a movie, they eliminate a lot of the footage. Why? Because there is a particular story that they're trying to tell, and some of the cutouts did not help the story and the end result. Some of what happened and was shot doesn't help tell the story. So they will either fast forward through a scene or they will completely cut it out. And I want to help you this morning because sometimes when you tell your testimony to folks 
and you're talking about how you love the Lord, and you're talking about your relationship and your walk with Jesus, you don't know it, but you're telling folks an edited story. Because there is a particular story you're trying to tell, so there's some stuff that you left on the cutting room floor that never made it into the movie because you're not trying to tell all the details. Somebody knows what I'm talking about this morning. When, when, when you hear somebody say, oh, I gave my heart to Christ Jesus when I was 15 years old and I came out of that darkness and into the light, I was bound and now I've been set free. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a, that's a wonderful movie. But there's some stuff missing out of that testimony. What, what they did was they fast-forwarded through some of the times that they thought about quitting and walking back on God. They fast-forwarded right past some of the times that they almost ran somebody over in Walmart's parking lot and gave them a one-finger salute and told them how they was number one. They fast-forwarded right through that 45-minute fight they sat in the church parking lot and had in the car, and then they come in the sanctuary, stand flat-footed, look you in the eye and talk about how blessed they are of the Lord. While they almost committed murder in the parking lot of the church, they fast-forwarded through all that. And not only do you fast-forward some of your stuff, there's some scenes that aren't PG-13 enough to bring into the house of the Lord. So you cut that mess all the way out. You delete some stuff when you're telling your story. Oh, all of our kids are in church and they all serve on the dream team. And they just make us so proud. Yeah, okay. You, you, you deleted that whole three years when you was visiting them and down to jail because they were strung out on drugs. You, I noticed you deleted that scene. Oh, we're going to teach a marriage seminar, a, a, a life group at church. I hope you all come. My wife and I gave our marriage. We surrendered our marriage to the Lord 15 years ago, and we have never found ourselves more stable and more happy and more fulfilled in our marriage since we surrendered it all to the Lord. Completely deleted the 18 months they slept in separate bedrooms. Just completely left that out. They're telling you your te their testimony, but there's some stuff missing. It's not untrue, it's just incomplete. And this becomes a problem for you because you try to compare your real-time, real-life process with somebody else's incomplete story. And you start comparing your mess that you're carrying around and you look around and you're like, well, they're perfect and they're perfect and their marriage is this and they got saved kids and what's wrong with me? The, what's wrong with you is that you are living in real time and you don't have chance to delete what you're living through. They have deleted the mess that God brought them through. Wouldn't it be better if they just stood up flat-footed and told you, I was blind but now I see. I was lost but now I'm found. I couldn't do it but God made a way for me to do it that's more encouraging for me to know that you were down but God picked you back up than for me to think you was never down to start with and, and so 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 who edited who edited your story because I want to show you one of the biggest blessings that God has for you and most of you are missing it pastor how do you know that because I know humans and I know if I struggle with this, somebody else is struggling with it too. Because let me tell you something. There is a danger. Did you hear what Solomon said? He said there's a danger if you do nothing. There's a danger if you do nothing. But there's also a danger if you try to do too much. 
Now, now, now all of y'all was with me when I, because some of y'all are just go-getters. And y'all liked it when I was preaching about the people that don't do nothing. The people that set through two different colors of green lights because they're waiting on a different shade. And you are, yeah, I got places to go. You think yellow light means gun it? My wife just turned into a gun it. She, woman's 45 years old. I've been with her for 28 years. She used to just slow down. She was so calm and serene. And she's getting old. And losing all her patience. And I'm, I've just been sitting over here for years just reading my Bible and studying and stuff and, and, and never had no problem. But now she, she looks at a yellow light like, like green flag racing for a NASCAR driver. She, she thinks that it is a challenge to see how far away she can make it through. And, and, if, she's, and if she's on the edge on just the verge of should I or shouldn't I, the answer is I should man. And she wasn't ever like that before. I don't know what she got in a hurry for this late in the game. But, but, but she seems to be in a hurry all of a sudden. And I think most of us knows what it feels like to be in a hurry. So there's a danger in doing nothing. But there's also a danger in when you don't have time for what matters the most. When you become too busy... For what's most important. Let me help you. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And what does he say? I will give you more stuff to do. I'll give you four more jobs. He said, I will give you rest. When's the last time some of y'all rested? That if, it, if you have to go to the calendar to see, you're doing it wrong. Well, I think it was the year 1990. No, that's wrong. In other words, Jesus is encouraging us. Listen, listen to this. It's going to be very important to somebody's life. Jesus is encouraging us to move, but to move at his pace. Listen, listen, because some, some of you are good at movement. I might as well say some of us are good at movement because we're action creatures. What Jesus says is, I need you to move. But notice the pace. Listen to what he says. Yoke up with me. See, if you get yoked up with your schedule, if you get yoked up with your to-do list, you're not going to keep pace with Jesus. You're going to keep pace with the thing that you're trying to accomplish. And Jesus said, I want you to yoke up with me. I want you to learn my rhythm. I want you to learn my pace. Because you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to catch the wind. Because it's impossible for you to ever get to the end of that to-do list. Has anybody figured that out yet? All the adults in the room? Yeah. How many of you have recently said something to the effect of this? I've got too much to do. I raised both my hands. Or how about this? I've never got enough time. Anybody say that but me? All right. So uh, I'm going to show you a video that you're going to, some of you will recognize it. Some of you will be like, who are these people? 
you'll know instantly who the young people are. We're going to divide this church. I mean, we're going to have a church split this fast all over one video. Because some of you are going to be like, I remember when that was on. And the young people are going to be like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. So we're going to, we're going to find out who, what age group you're in right now. Because I want to use this as an example of how we begin our walk with Jesus. All right, girls. Now, this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped, you're fired. Yes, ma'am. Let her roll! Yeah, we can handle this. Your walk with Jesus starts out like that. Oh, this is easy. We can handle this, right? And, 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 and you start learning as you go. Maybe you fall down a little bit. Maybe you get behind, but then you have to catch back up. You, you, you're learning his pace and his rhythm, right? You're following Jesus. He tells you to love your neighbor. You'd rather slap the taste out of their mouth. That lasts for a season. You have to pray about it. you gotta, you got to ask some people to help you pray through some stuff. Uh, does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you start following Jesus, you're learning these rhythms, right? You're learning how to pace yourself, all right? And, but little by little, life starts happening. Uh, well, that's okay. And the pace picks up. Maybe you get married. Maybe you start having some kids. Does anybody's Christian life look like this? Listen, Ethel, I, I think this... Remember when it was easy? I think we're fighting a losing Looks like this. Some of y'all come to church on Sundays and that's your face. You start out following Jesus and it's all a good little comfortable pace, right? Everything's happened. Maybe you fall behind a little bit. You fight to get back. You, and, and our pace picks up. We have to start doing more. We get a bigger yard. And grass don't never stop growing. Maybe you got a couple of kids. You didn't have kids when you first started. Maybe you got a promotion at work, which means more hours and more responsibilities. Maybe you took on responsibility at the church. And all of a sudden, you're trying to stuff more in. But the problem is you run out of places to stuff stuff. She had her hat, had her mouth, had it down her blouse. She was running out of places 
to stuff because it starts coming at you so fast that you'd run out of places to stuff things. And that is the American way. But it's not the Jesus way. See, when your life starts picking up pace, a lot of times you don't even notice it. And it leads you to feel disappointed about how your life is going. That's why Jesus doesn't want you acting this way and living this way. Because the more you try to get done, the worse you feel about the stuff you couldn't finish. Jesus doesn't want you to feel incomplete because you set unrealistic expectations and you had a a to-do list longer than your leg and you didn't get to half of it. He wants you to find rest in Him. And can I tell you in total transparency that this statement hits home with me because I struggle with this just about as bad as anything I struggle with. I have a hard time relaxing. I'm extremely driven. I'm goals-oriented. I always feel like I should be doing something. If I sit on the couch with the dogs and something's on the TV and I'm not tapping on a keyboard, I feel like I'm wasting time. This is, this is a driven part of my personality that I have, in my later years, had to come to grips with and realize that that's not the life Jesus wants for me. Because I had the mentality when I was younger that I could relax once all the work got done. And 25 years later, you know what I found out? I've got more work ahead of me than I've ever got finished behind me because the work never stops. The grass always needs mowed. The dogs always need something to to take. The yard always needs something else. The house always needs painted somewhere. There's always a broken shutter somewhere. There's always a door that needs the screws tightened on. You get in a building like this, 37,000 square feet, not to mention the playground, and I could work here 90 hours a week and never touch all the stuff that needs to be done. And this is the system that we, and this is the pace that we have created for ourselves. And the danger lies in when you have time for everything except what's important. We don't have time to eat meals with our family. We don't have time for conversations with our friends. We don't have time for intimacy with God because we have created this list that is unreasonable of expectations that we put on ourselves, and we claim that we're working for the Lord. And the Lord says, I wish you'd just sit down for a little while and talk to me. Let me love on you. Let me restore your strength. Jesus said, I want you to follow me. We should use him as our model. Hello? And when you look at how, you li- at how Jesus lived, because I did it for this sermon. You ready for something you've never thought of? When you look at how Jesus lived, you'd be surprised, because I was. Remember, Jesus' public ministry only lasted three and a half years. In three and a half years, he had a lot of stuff to do. You know, like redeem the world, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, unstopped ears, open the sight of the blind. I mean, he had a lot of stuff to do. Three and a half years is all he had to do it. Now, some of you don't know my story. I came to this church in 2001 as the pastor, and I thought I was coming for three years. So that means somewhere between October of 2004 and October of 2005, I should have been moving on to my next assignment, I thought. That was my plan. That's what I thought God was sending me to do. 
I thought I would be off to another assignment by no later than October of 2005. So if you have ever joined this church family or have been blessed by this ministry, any time after 2005, I don't know what you're doing here. Because I don't know what I'm doing here. Because this, all of this, was not part of my plan. I ran out of pages in my spiritual planner 18 years ago, and I've just been doing what he wants from me ever since I ran out of my plan. And if I would have just watched the wind, I would have missed all of this. If I would have just watched the wind, I wouldn't know most of you in this room. Because most of you have come and joined us since 2005. Maybe I'm a slow learner. Maybe I was supposed to be here for three years and God's taken 21 to teach me what I was supposed to. I don't know. All I know is I thought I was supposed to be here for three years. Jesus completed his whole to-do list in three and a half years. Can anybody in this room say, I've got my whole list finished? Listen to what, listen to what the Bible teaches us. Jesus did everything he was supposed to do in this short time. He chose, he trained, and set forth the next generation of leaders. He established the church that will never fail. He redeemed the whole world of their sins. He healed people. He showed the world what true love looks like. He endured the torment of his enemies. And get this, he fulfilled every single thing he was sent to do. Jesus checked every box off his to-do list in three and a half years. But there's one thing he never did. Run. I'm about to get personal and you're going to start hating on me. He never ran. Everywhere he went, he walked and he was deliberate. He had a lot to do. Can anybody in here tell me honestly you think you're busier than Jesus? Anybody in here got something as big and magnificent as saving the whole world from their sins on your to-do list? I know you got some paint to throw up, but anybody like going to the cross? Jesus had a tremendous amount on his to-do list. But he never got in a hurry. He was busy, but he was never rushed. You never, tell him, you never hear him tell the disciples, hurry up boys, we got somewhere to be. If you're not out in this car in the next ten minutes, I'm leaving without you. If you don't get on the back of this donkey, I'm going to Damascus without you, Peter. You never hear him fuss about being late, but you also never see him in a hurry to get anywhere. As a matter of fact, when the disciples and his mother tried to hurry him along, Jesus was always slowing them down because he wanted to show them that people were more important than appointments. I told you you wasn't going to like this part of the sermon. So the lesson we learn is this. The reason Jesus was not in a hurry to get anywhere was because within Jesus was perfect peace. And the reason you're so overwhelmed on the outside is because you have turmoil on the inside. 
See, Jesus wasn't in a hurry to get anywhere because he was deliberate because he had peace inside. You aren't deliberate. You're scatterbrained. You're here. You're there. You're everywhere. And the reason you are so tormented around you is because inside of you you're unsettled. Listen, all you got to do is look at how Jesus traveled. If I am the Savior of the world and I'm making my triumphant entry into a city, I'm getting the biggest, meanest, nastiest, snot-throwing horse I can find. Probably white. I mean, I want his nostrils flaring. I want him having big old hooves. When he stomps through the town, I want the windows to shake in the house. And Jesus rides in on a donkey. There ain't a donkey in the world ever been in a hurry. Nobody is saddling up Eeyore at the Kentucky Derby, I promise you. He is deliberate. He's slow. He's methodical. And get this, that's the pace he challenges you to follow. He says, follow me. Now, if you're not upset with me yet, hold on. Your turn's coming. Because that means if you're following Jesus, he has a pace, he has a rhythm. And as a matter of fact, the very first miracle Jesus performed was not in the synagogue, it wasn't at the cemetery, and it wasn't at a hospital. It was at a party when he turned water into wine. Jesus has got stuff to do. I mean, he's a busy man. He's got an agent, and he's got a wedding planner, and he's got all this stuff be going on, and they got dead people over here and sick people over there, and Jesus is at a party that's going on for days. And when they ran out of party juice, he could have shut the whole thing down and says, that's enough. But instead, he kept the party going and didn't hurry anybody along. If you need further proof that Jesus wants us to keep his pace, look at Mark chapter 2, verse 14. As he walked along, how'd he get there? He, he walked along. He's, he's not sprinting like some of you are. So, some of you, your gas pedal has two positions. Floor off. <laughs> like, like, it's all the way or you're out of the vehicle. Like, like your car pulls over. When you finally park your car, it is praying in tongues. It is, it is so glad that you got out because the brakes are cherry red hot. The, the, the radiator is losing steam. The transmission has been jerked hither and thither. And that car dreads to see you coming. If it was a horse, it would have ran away already. Because of some of you, the way you treat that poor vehicle of yours. But, but how many of you know, listen to what he says. He walked along, he saw, son of, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me. As he walked. I'm walking. Follow me. As I walk. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, there's two things you need to know about following anybody. Number one, you can't get ahead of them. You can't pass them. And number two, you can't linger too far behind. That means whatever pace they have has to become your pace. Because if they get too far out of sight, you can't see what they're doing. And if you get too far ahead of them, you're making a way for yourself. So Jesus has a pace. And if Jesus was never rushed, why are you always? 
And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you because this is a problem for me. I always feel rushed. I feel rushed when I, wake, when I lay down, when I wake up, and every point in between. I always feel like i got more to do. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I've got a list 95 things long. I, I'm, I'm like Martin Luther. I've got this, uh, the, these 95 theses, and I, and I nail it to my door every day. And, and, and I, 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 I'm disappointed in myself at how few of the boxes that I check off. And this is not the life that Jesus wants for me. So let me stop preaching at you. Maybe you'll start clapping again because I, let me just preach to myself. This isn't the life that Jesus wants for me. He he wants me to follow him and to find some rest. And every once in a while, he just wants me to shut down and let my mental clock unwind and just love on him and let him love on me and he can restore strength to me and let my spirit be renewed. That's what he wants for me. And I don't let him do it very often because I don't know how to relax. I work on vacation. I work while I'm laying in bed trying to fall asleep and I'm already planning my next move. But his pace is a slow one. I'm not a counselor, and I'm not here to diagnose anything to you today, but most of us are running because we're either running away from something or we're running after something. Running from a feeling of not being good enough. Running from past failures. Or we're running from insecurities and wounds in our souls, and we're trying to prove somebody wrong. So we're going to work ourselves to death. Or we're running after a relationship because we're running away from being lonely. Oh, it got quiet in this mortuary. Some of us are running after that next high. For some people, that's a needle in the arm. And for other people, it's the wrong bedroom. But we're running after a high. We're running after the next goal. We're running after making the next dollar. We're always running. And the problem with all that running is... Even when you catch it, it'll be empty and it won't satisfy you. Because the one that told you to follow him is the satisfaction that you are craving. Mm. The biggest threat to the life that you want is the life that you're chasing. And I can tell that you're not sold on it, so let me tell you this. Well, Pastor, that sounds fine for everybody else, but I can't slow down. i got responsibilities. I've got people that depend on me. I can't quit. I've got far too much going on and too many moving pieces. And my answer has always been, you have time for exactly what you choose to have time for. The Holy Spirit dropped this in me a few weeks ago when I was working on this sermon. I love this statement. Time is the currency of priorities. You can tell me something's important, but you won't prove it until you're willing to spend time doing it. If you're not willing to spend time on your relationship, you can't tell me that you care about your relationship. If you're not willing to spend time on Sunday coming to God's house, you can't tell me that you love the Lord above everything else in your life. If you can't spend time working on your closeness with Him, you can't tell the Lord. He's not convinced that you love Him when you don't read His book. You don't ever spend time talking to Him. You're not intimate with Him. You can't tell me that your kids are important to you when you spend all of your time making money and not investing any of it back into... I told you it was going to get quiet. Y'all was going to get mad at me. I, I'm sorry, but you can say something's important to you, but saying it don't prove a thing. You, you spend your time 
on what you want to spend your time on. And we will never get more time. There's only so much of it. So you have to prioritize where you spend it. Most of us spend time on things that don't matter, which leaves little to nothing for what does matter. And I realize this is not going to apply to everybody in this room, but I'm about to give you some data points. Are you ready? I'm about, I'm about done. I'm, I'm sorry I kept you so long already. Can I give you some data real quick? I did some research. I got convicted, and starting today, I'm going to make some cutbacks in my life. The average person in America today spends 706 hours a year on social media. The younger you are, the higher that number goes. Well, that's not bad, Pastor. That's less than two hours a day. Okay, so let me give you a reality check on that. It would take you four and a half months of your job schedule to work 706 hours. Some of us are complaining that we're always behind at work because we don't have time that we have spent. Four and a half months of eight-hour shifts is what we're spending on social media. And if you're spending your, social, your work hours on social media, no wonder you're always behind. And this is the average, by the way. Some of you are way above average. It's the first time you've ever been told that. But some of you are way above average. We're spending four and a half months a year on everybody else's timeline while the timeline of our marriage is falling apart. We're liking pictures of other people's kids while our own children are being ignored. Oh, it's quiet in here. I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot of time to be given to something that doesn't give anything back to me. So starting today, I'm changing some things in my life. Some of you are saying, well, pastor, that's not on me. I don't do social media. I don't have a problem. Well, hold on. Because as bad as those numbers are, the average person spends 2,700 hours a year in front of a TV. Whether you're watching the Weather Channel that's telling you it's raining in Albuquerque, I don't know why you care, but there it is. Or if you are watching home improvement shows and getting all these cute ideas for barn doors and shiplap, or you're watching news stations that are bent and determined to fill your life with fear and anxiety, or maybe you're binge-watching your favorite show. Three and a half months out of every year are spent in front of a TV. That's one-third of the hours you're awake. The hours you are awake in a whole calendar year, one-third of them is spent in front of a TV. And as bad as that number sounds, when you consider that time is a currency that can only be spent once, it can only be spent at one place, and that means every moment you spend anywhere means you sacrifice every other place on the planet. Which means you're trading 2,700 hours for TV. What could I do with 2,700 hours? I'm glad you asked because I did the research. Well, you could work a job making $10 an hour and make $27,000. Uh, you could become proficient at playing the piano. 
with 2,700 hours. You could get your pilot's license and learn how to fly an airplane in 2,700 hours, and you could earn an associate's degree with 2,700 hours. Well, that's not my issue, Pastor. I don't waste time like that. Well, I ain't got to the biggest time waster yet. So it's your turn. Studies show 70 to 85% of a person's day is wasted worrying about the future and mourning the past. 75, 70 to 85% of your day is you being afraid of something that hasn't happened and may not happen or crying about what did happen and you wish you could get it back. Hello? Both of which you can't change. Neither of which you haven't been invited into tomorrow yet, so why are you worried about it? And you can't change a thing about what's already happened, so why are you worried about it? We are wasting so much of our life concerned about things that we cannot change. They, 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 they worry about things that may never happen in front of them and wish they could go back to the days of yonder. Uh, I don't, here's a mom that's got little kids in the house saying, I don't know what I'm going to do when my babies leave. And then they do, and she says, I wish I could go back to the days when my babies were here. When are you going to live in the now? When are you going to enjoy the blessing that God gave you right now? Because God said, my mercy's made new every day. Do you know that that means that God made a special habit out of making mercy for you to live in on Sunday in July? He's not interested in what you went through or where you're headed. You haven't been invited into that yet. He can split the eastern sky and tomorrow may never come. But you ought to be rejoicing today. Today is a gift that we waste. So what... What if we took the time that we're spending on things that don't matter and we started investing it on things that do? How much of our day and our conversations are spent on things that don't really matter? Jesus was never in a hurry because he was always present right where he was. What if you paid attention to the people that's right in front of you instead of texting people? Ignoring the people that's in your face so you can talk to people that ain't bothered to show up in the room. I wonder what would happen if you took the time you spent and invested it on that marriage that you are fixing to walk out on. Invested in your children who you say, I don't know what I'm going to do with these kids. Well, maybe you ought to try doing something instead of just leaving everything to chance. And I'm going to close with this thought. We can't control the time we have, but we can control the way we spend it. So I don't... I know I'm probably talking to foggy brains by now because I've either made you mad or I've outpreached your ability to sit still. So, I understand I'm talking to people that's probably thinking, I've been running behind for so long, I don't think I'll ever get my life under control. So, so many people depend on me. I've got so much on my plate. I can't slow down. I know I can't do it all, but if I don't do it, nobody else will do it. I wish I had more time to give to the Lord, but there's no margin. Pastor, this is just bad time for me. Something that people don't talk about too much is that Jesus did stuff at bad times.
Solomon said, don't watch the wind. And, and Jesus must have took him up on it because Jesus tells his disciples, we got to go to Bethany. Lazarus is sick. He's actually dead. And the disciples said, you sure you want to go to Bethany? It's a bad time. Because the last time we was there, they wanted to kill you. And really, if they kill you, they're probably going to kill us too. So it's not a good time, Jesus, for us to be going to Bethany. But Jesus does stuff, calls you to stuff, expects you to do stuff at bad times. I'm too old to be doing this. It's not a good time. I'm too young to be doing this. It's not a good time. I, I'm too busy for this. It's not a good time. I used to have a better job. If I can get a better job, Jesus, I, it's not a good time. I used to make more money. It's a bad time. Can I tell you that God chooses to bless people at bad times? But too many of you have been letting the devil forecast gloom and doom and pain and misery, loss and failure. Some of you need to fire the devil today as your weatherman. Because he has been forecasting so much into your brain. Some of you have not saw any evidence that snow was coming. But because it might snow, you've decided that you're not going to do anything for the Lord. You haven't seen any evidence of storms, but because it might storm, you're just going to work until you've got a nest egg. You haven't seen any evidence that you're going to fail, but because you might fail, you're not going to try it. You're just watching the wind, and your opportunity is passing you by. Some of you are letting the enemy edit your story. It's not because you don't have enough education. It's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you, you're not the right last name. Or, it's simply because you've decided this is a bad time. I don't have enough time. But I just showed you we waste a lot of time. We spend a lot of time doing things that aren't important and we have very little left for what is important. But I also just showed you that Jesus likes to bless people in bad times. I know times of struggle. But it's kind of like trying to spend your way out of financial problems. It's, it's, it's kind of like you're trying, to, you're trying to add things to your list to get done. All the while you're complaining you don't have any time to get stuff done. And Jesus says, I don't want that for you. Who edited your story? Who told you you had to run 80 hours a week? Who told you that? Who edited your story? Who told you that you couldn't slow down? Who told you you had to do 90 miles an hour? Who told you you had to join everything? Who told you that you had to participate in the rat race? Who told you? Who edited your story? Because that's not Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, and I'm going to give you rest. When's the last time you felt rested? 
When's the last time you, you said, yes, I'm so comforted in the presence of Jesus? I get exhausted on vacation. This, this woman schedules my vacation. We got to be here at 1230 so that we can be over here by 115 and then at 117. We got to be in line for this and that and the other. And I, I come home like, I can finally rest back at work. When's the last time you felt rested? If there was ever a message for 2022, it's this. Jesus said, I want to give you rest. We're running 900 different directions at 1,000 miles per hour and getting nowhere. Why? Because you're outrunning the one you're supposed to follow. He says, follow me. And he has a pace and he has a rhythm. And some of you have not yet found it, but I want to pray with you. And I know I've preached too long, so let's just, would you stand with me all over the room? Father, we're not talking about sinful things here. We're not talking about things that are detrimental to our, to our spirit, man. We're talking about things that are tiring to the soul, that wear out the body, that cause us problems with our life. Because we, we have not slowed down enough to learn how to walk with you, how to be led by you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. So God, I just want to speak health and wellness over these people today. I I just want you to bless them. I want you to change their mind and teach them that somebody else has edited their story and they feel like they have to run at a breakneck pace, but that is not the life that you have for us. You want us to find rest. You want us to follow you to take your rhythms and your pace. And so many of us have outran you, Lord. We just need rest. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to just minister to tired, downtrodden souls. People that have just ran until they don't have anything left. God, I'm asking you to restore their strength right now. Not so they can run harder, but that's so they can learn how to follow you and keep pace with you. We love you, Lord, and we love that you feed us with the nourishment of your word, but that you also restore us with the nourishment of your Holy Spirit. We all need strength today. We all need sustaining today. We need you today to teach us with godly wisdom how to walk in your steps. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You still mad at me? Y'all got mad at me today. Y'all shut way down on me. But me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you, so I'm just going to tell it to you anyway. These are the kind of messages that aren't about sin value. They're just about why you feel exhausted all the time. Why is your life not abundant the way Jesus wants it to be? We're not talking about spending 40 days fasting on the mountain, shaving your head, and, and singing kumbaya. 
You can find rhythm and still get your job done. You can find a pace with Jesus and still raise them kids. You, you can find rhythm with Jesus and still get your bills paid. How do you know that, Pastor? Because He's above all, in all, and through all. He's supernatural. He transcends time and space. There's not a boundary He can't break through. And if you're willing for Him to teach you a pace, He'll teach it to you because He wants you to have rest. Anybody like some rest? If I could just pray anything over the body of Christ today, it would just be, Lord, give them some rest. God bless you. Promise of victory. I love you. Invite somebody to church the next four weeks because it's going to be exciting around here. God bless you.